You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for pressing play. This is episode number two. And in episode number one, it was just you and I. I was laying down the groundwork. I was answering the questions who, what, where, when, and why about Behind the Note podcast. But today we have our first guest, and for that I'm thankful. I'm going to mix things up in the future. I'm going to have local musicians, and I'm going to have people who travel full-time. And for that reason, you might have heard of some of my guests and others you might not have heard of. And I'm doing that intentionally. I want you to understand that no matter where people come from, first of all, we're sharing success stories here. So I want you to understand that no matter where people come from, you can achieve success just like they did. And I do understand that success means different things to different individuals. And that's perfectly okay. I just want you to understand that you can reach your goals. So it's my hope here that through these stories, through these experiences, that you gain inspiration, that you gain education and motivation to act, to put your dreams into action. Don't put it in the back of your of your mind. Don't think that it's for later. It's for right now. That's something that I've learned personally. The longer you wait, it just gets things get worse. Your dreams are supposed to be reality. So with that said, I want to uh, begin with our first guest. We have a treat for you today. Today's guest is one of Chicago's premier vocalists who's been featured in Time Out Chicago, Jazz Times Magazine, The Chicago Magazine, and Cabaret Online. She's one of Chicago's premier vocalists and it's my pleasure to introduce to you today, Behind the Note Podcast, first guest, vocalist Elaine Dane. Thank you, Elaine, so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Thanks a lot. I want to tell everybody how I know you. For those who don't know, I met Elaine this summer at the Chicago Jazz Philharmonic Jazz Academy. And she brought me a cup of coffee when we were total strangers. And for that, I will never forget her. That stood out in my mind. So I wanted to tell you one more time. Thanks for that cup of coffee, Lane. You are so welcome. Yeah. And his coffee. So uh, I got to hear Elaine sing at the Jazz Academy, but we got to have some conversations in between classes and that's why I asked her to do this podcast today, and she agreed. And we're finally here together. So, um, Elaine, I want to start by you telling us the story about how you got into music, your your earliest memories of music. Oh, gosh. Well, I come from a really um, artsy musical family on um, my mom's side. We're German, and I don't know if it's it culturally um, common for Germans to have pianos in their household. I think it maybe was long ago in the olden days. Um, but, you know, I grew up surrounded by, my mom was a classical music freak. 
So I grew up surrounded by her music, and my dad loved R&B, um, and you know he listened to Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we had a piano in the house, and I I started piano lessons very early, um, and I started taking flute lessons very early in the fourth grade because there was a huge you know arts program in the public school where I grew up in Stevensville, Michigan. And that's basically how it started. And then I started singing at a very young age. My mom said I was singing before I was talking. I just was heavily involved in all that. I took flute lessons, voice lessons, and piano lessons all through high school. And then I went to Pepperdine University on a classical voice and flute scholarship. I didn't really start listening to jazz until I was in my mid-30s. So you got a relatively late start in jazz, which is what you're doing now. Yep. That's that's pretty interesting. So Okay, so you went to school for music. Yeah, uh, kind of. I, I, I was on a music scholarship, but I was majoring in theater. But my um, band director at the time was very good friends with the choir director at this school, and they offered our school two scholarships. So I had to send in audition tapes. and So I was studying theater, but I had to take flute lessons, voice lessons. I had to be in um, woodwind ensemble I had to be in um, a small vocal ensemble as well as the choir. So I had a lot going on. Yeah. So the transition from from theater and kind of being a major to a career right. in music, that's really interesting. So yeah. how, how did that come about? It's kind of crazy, Chris. Um, it, it's seemingly fortuitous, but I moved. I was in L.A. for a while because of that scholarship. And I thought at the time I needed to be on either coast. So um, after just struggling and struggling in L.A. for a long time, nine years, ten years I was there, I just I just finally gave up. And I missed Michigan. I missed the Midwest. And I thought, I'm not really doing any theater here. I was managing a restaurant and taking acting classes and going on auditions a little bit during the day, but I wasn't doing any theater. So I moved here to do theater. I visit my aunt and uncle lived here at the time. So um, I visited Chicago before I moved here and I went around to all the theaters and I talked to all the artistic directors and it was really cool because I just went around during the day and just showed up without calling or anything and just told them my story and they all sat down and talked to me and I thought this is a cool town so and I loved the city you know LA is so spread out and even though there's neighborhoods you know there's no sense of there's no sense of neighborhoods like there is here you know, and it's not a walking town. You know, I haven't had a car since I moved here. Wow, no that's pub- great. Yeah, most of the time it's great. <laughs> and there's there's no public transportation. I don't know. I just didn't I didn't really like L.A. I hate to say it. No disrespect, but I like Chicago as a city is a much more user friendly for me. So I moved here and I did a ton of ton of theater while I was here, mostly non all non equity theater. And I got some great roles and some great parts. But I just seemed every time I would be up for like a big part at an equity house, like the Goodman or, or Northlight or one of those places. I even auditioned for Shakespeare rep one time because I was taking a Shakespeare class and the teacher liked me. So she invited me to audition and I just messed it up. And then I did a book called The Artist Way. And that was what got me into jazz singing. And I don't know why. I really can't even tell you why. I just, I was working at a restaurant at the time and the manager of the restaurant was a huge jazz fan. So he played jazz all the time all kinds. And I just started to listen and I loved it. And I started to get hooked on all these vocalists and I, I was hooked. It was done. And I found a piano player and we started rehearsing. Um, we rehearsed two days a week for a year 
so I could just kind of build up a repertoire. And I had done tons of musical theater too, so you know, it's not like I hadn't been singing. Um, and that's how it started. Just started pounding the pavement, and that's that. But I've learned over the years, you know, when I did all the clubs and stuff, that you can't make a living just singing in the clubs here, especially right. now. Right. So I needed to sort of rethink and have a business model and figure out how I was going to make a living at it. Yes. Now, luckily, I'm doing so because I do corporate events and weddings and fundraisers and all that stuff. And the club dates are just the icing on the cake. Plus, right. I'm teaching now and, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you touched on a couple of things that I wanted to talk about, and I'm glad. And, um, okay, first, you, you talked about being working at a restaurant. Yeah. So was that was that your last job before you committed full time to music? Yes. Yeah. And and yeah. how? I'm I, I'm sorry. I just I'm not trying to like date you or anything. But how long yeah. how long ago was that? No, no worries. Yeah. Um, I I um I was uh, waiting tables full time up until about nineteen ninety nine, and All then right. after. I started to get some good work. I was hired, luckily, at the Fairmont Hotel. This was before 9-11. I was hired to sing there three to five nights a week. And I was a new singer, and I had no idea that this gig could end. Mm-hmm. I thought, hey, I'm set. I'll just have this gig for the rest of my life. I'll do this. No problem. I was very naive. <laughs> yes. Um, I was very naive. And I was um, after that, I started um, waiting tables twice a week. And I've pretty much been in that for a while until just about about two years ago and i was i was bartending when the economy tanked um as you know it was super hard on all the musicians in town yes. so i i said i gotta get a i was out of the, the business for a while and then i thought i gotta get a part-time job and that was the first thing that i went to because that's just so familiar with me and this restaurant that i had worked for hired me back and it was right by my house and it was Tuesdays and Wednesday nights, so you know, I could walk to work and it was a super, super easy gig. So So you talked about how you discovered that if you wanted to sing you had to pound the pavement. So yeah. what tell us about that process. Like mm. I, we really want to know mm. like what you did in the yeah. beginning compared mm-hmm. to what you do today, what yeah. worked, what didn't work and how yeah. things have changed from then right. to now. Because we know Things might not work now like they like they used to. Right. So when I started singing, basically back in 1998, 99, there there was live music in all the hotels, in in almost all of the hotels. The Fairmont Hotel had two different venues that had live music six nights a week, twice in a night. It had the early set and the late set. So this there was just a lot more work to go around, a whole lot more work. Um, there were a lot more clubs. You know, um, a lot of places that I used to sing in regularly have closed. So, you know, because the economy, the economy, the economy, right. you know, it's affected everything. And, you know, the places, restaurants used to have live music just because they thought it was a luxury for their guests. And, um, you know, the economy was booming. So if you liked live music, you know, hire a jazz musician once a week. Um, and now... All these places, they want to hire you only if you can bring in people week after week after week after week, which, as you know, is quite a challenge. Yes, it is. Yeah. So you really have to you have to just kind of go with it. You can't I mean, it doesn't do any good to complain about it. You just have to deal with what you've got. Mm-hmm. 
So what we have right now is not that many clubs and not that many restaurants that, that want to hire musicians because it's just too expensive for them. So um, when I got started, it was, it was easier. Um, and I just, I, I'm a very organized, diligent, persistent person. So I, I organized it and I, I just started a book and I made a list of all the venues and, you know, I did a graph of, you know, when I called, who I called, what was said. And I just sat down and I just did it every day, all day. You know, um, it's like any other business. You are running your own small business. And if you are self-employed, you have to be, um, you, you have to be constructive with your time. You know, you don't wake up and go to work like a traditional person does. You have to wake up and you have to go to work. Because that saying, you have to do the work to get the work, right. is really true. And I remember back then, I was working like crazy at all the clubs. I wasn't making a ton of money, but man, was I working. But it's what I needed at the time to really grow as a musician. It was just to do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, night after night, you know? Yes. I just needed to do it. And I would work anywhere for anything at any time. And, you know, now I'm a little more, a little pickier about what I'll work for and when I'll work. Mm-hmm. Back then, when I was young and just getting started, I was like, yes, 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 yes. Um, you know, the, the old Pops for Champagne, for instance, when that place was around, it took me almost two years to get a gig there. And that was calling once a week, then sending a postcard, then sending an email, then stopping in, then this, then that. And I remember musicians complaining about it. Man, I can't get a gig there. That dude never calls me. Yes. Like, well, <laughs> I know that story. <laughs> yeah, just like, you know what? You can't take it personally. Yes. You have to be professional and you just have to keep going. You cannot take it personally. And, you know, he's probably got hundreds of people, or he did at the time, wanting to sing there and perform there. So he eventually, you know, broke down or whatever. I, I hounded him enough. Mm -hmm. I remember when he hired me, he said, you know, Elaine, a lot of musicians could take a lesson from you. He says, you were very persistent. You didn't give up. And you contacted me in a very professional way, in different ways. So, you know, you just have to be straightforward. You have to realize these are business people. You know, they don't want to read six paragraphs of, of you. They want to read, uh, you know, maybe two two lines. Hi, my name's Elaine Dame. I'm a Chicago-based jazz vocalist. I'm submitting my press kit for your approval. Thanks, or for your consideration. Now, this Thanks. press kit you speak of, was this yeah. uh, through email or, as they say, snail mail? Yeah, it was quote-unquote snail mail back okay. then. We didn't have email. We didn't have that kind of thing. <laughs> Do you think email today will work just the same? Uh, will it be as I, effective? I think yes and no. I think FaceTime, there's a lot to be said for FaceTime still. You know, yes. uh, showing up. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to email, I don't know, you have to find different ways to communicate with these people because they get tons of emails. You know, send a postcard, send a letter. You know, and then you have to realize you can't send it every week. You have to send it every three weeks or maybe once a month even. So you got to play with the timing of, of your communication yeah. and find out what works for that particular yeah. venue. Yes, and you have during. to be respectful of their time. If you're calling a restaurant, you can't call during the lunch hour or the dinner hour. You know, most of the time, I knew that from working in the restaurant business. Most of the time, everyone's busy in the morning getting ready, and the best time to call is between, you know, three and four, ideally. It's a small window. But, you know, and that's just that's just stuff you figure out and just con consideration for someone's time and just a, 
you know, communicating effectively, spell check, all that stuff. Seems like a no-brainer, but a lot of people miss that that basic stuff. And having a website, a really, really good website. So what what does that mean, a good website? What what does a w- good website have? Well, I mean, it's your it's your business card. Yeah, it is your business card these days. You know, um, it has to look slick and professional. It has to be easily navigatable. It has to have all your media, you know, videos, audio. Um, it should be interactive where people can leave comments. You know, these days everything's about social media. It should have all your social media on there, and that's a whole other ball game. So, you know, it's like it's a constant, ongoing process. You can't just get a website and then leave it be for yes. a couple of years. Yes. You have to constantly be updating it. You have to know about you know, search engine optimization and keywords and all that stuff. So. And now I'm glad you mentioned the search engine optimization. Now, the people who are listening to this, it's a good chance they may know what that means. Yeah. But uh, maybe someone doesn't. Yeah. Can, can you explain what that what that is? Well, basically, that just means your sort of your web presence. And, you know, if you're not on the first page of Google, then that that's your goal is to to come up somewhere on the first page of Google. So search engine optimization just means how how are you going to it's a technical thing and I'm not technical but who whomever you hire to do your website should be doing research for you. In other words, what are the keywords that people use to find you? Google used to um rate um its websites according to keyword. And so people used to do what's called keyword stuffing. So they would add all these keywords at the bottom of their website, which worked for a while, but then Google figured it out, and now it's a combination of keywords and what's called relevant content. Yes. So you have to include relevant, you, you know this, yeah. So you have to write content in your website, and you have to be updating it all the time. You can't just write, you know, Chicago Jazz, Chicago Jazz Singer, blah, blah, blah. So it has to be sort of a live organic thing all the time that you're updating. And for and for people listening, that's the reason, guys, why you should have a blog or yeah. continuously post videos or do something on a regular basis to communicate to your fans. That will help you ultimately to get work in the long run. Yeah. Uh, so, man, there's so many things that you talked about that I want to ask first. Why did you pursue that particular restaurant, Pops for Champagne? What was attractive about that particular restaurant? Why did you try for so long to get in there? Yeah. Well, you know, there were certain restaurants at the time, certain jazz clubs at the time, like Andy's and the Green Mill and the Jazz Showcase, the, the you know, the big ones that people know about that was right literally 100 yards from where I lived at the time. <laughs> so I used to go there all the time. And, you know, I was young and fresh and it seemed so glamorous to me and I you know I just wanted to say that I performed there and once I did get a gig there I they hired me again and again um and again it was just the experience of performing you know in front of a crowd I remember at the time my first gig at Pops was with a bass player named Rob Amster I don't know if you knew Rob he unfortunately just passed away this past year but um you know he was a monster bass player and I didn't. I knew nothing about how to conduct myself. I had lots of enthusiasm, and I'm. Am I digressing here? I'm sorry. No, you're you're fine. Go ahead. 
Yeah. I'm trying to remember if I've answered your question at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is another thing, too. I didn't have a mentor, you know. I didn't have anyone to tell me, hey, man, don't do that or do this. And I didn't know any of the lingo and I didn't know any of that stuff. And I was just kind of learning as I went. But Rob, <laughs> I remember someone recommended him to me. And I said, well, well w- will he rehearse with me? And the guy just kind of giggled and said, no, man, we don't rehearse. <laughs> yeah. She, Rob Amster, you don't rehearse. And it freaked me out because, you know, I came from a musical theater background and I was just like, wait a minute, we have to rehearse. Uh, you know, I barely knew how to count off a tune, let alone, you know, tell him that it was, you know, I don't know. I, there was a lot that I didn't know. I remember he put his fingers down, like two down for the key of, for the key of B flat. Yes. Looked at him like, what do you, what is that? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> he's like two down. I'm like, well, uh, two down. I mean, I know obviously know the key signatures, but I didn't know that two down. Two meant... fingers down mean two flats. Right. I didn't know yeah. any of that. Three stuff. fingers up, three sharps. Right. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. So. I had to learn that lesson the hard way myself on the job. <laughs> Did you... Screaming at me, three oh, up, no. three oh. up, the key of A. What? Yeah. I n- never heard that before. Why are you mad yeah. at me? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. All right, so I want to know, in your opinion, how important are relationships in this business? Um, relationships are super important with your with your people who follow you, with the musicians that you work with, with your students, with everybody. You know, um, I think you just have to try to conduct yourself at all times and be kind and giving and. You know, all the basic stuff of being trying to be a good human being. You know, we all mess up. You know, I've gotten uptight, lots of, you know, I used to get pretty uptight at gigs sometimes, especially those corporate gigs and wedding gigs because those clients are so micromanaging you and stuff. And it's hard to stay calm when it's yes. trickling down to you, you know. But you have to, that's one thing I've realized is that you have to create an environment for for so that the people around you can relax enough to make good music and I've been so lucky that I've had I've developed these relationships with these incredible musicians do you know yes and I I've, do yeah I mean my god I've just learned so much and I continue to learn and that's the great thing about it is that there's no there's no end you know there's no end to the learning but that feeling of just being in sync with with people when you're performing and just knowing that they've had they have your back and that you're all listening to each other. I mean, there's nothing like it, no? Yes, I do yeah. know. <laughs> yes, I yeah. do. There is it's nothing a, like it. Yeah, it's like a spiritual thing for me anyway. So I noticed, I was checking out your Facebook wall, oh. and I noticed that you promote pretty heavily for your shows on yeah. Facebook. <laughs> a little too heavily, I think, sometimes. <laughs> People are sick of me. <laughs> well, well, does, well, does it work for you? Well, um, I, no, that's not the question I want to ask. How has that worked for you? Um, I think it's worked pretty well. I think a lot of people that wouldn't normally, um, normally know about me, would would come out. But I also think it's a can be a very negative thing because people get caught up in all kinds of other issues that have nothing to do with what we're trying to do. And I try to stay focused on what Facebook is for me. Cause if I didn't have, if I didn't feel like I had to be on it for my music thing, I probably wouldn't be on it. I understand. Yes, I do. 
Yeah, I think it's weird. I just what part? I just watched this thing on um, PBS, this Frontline special. You ever watch that show? No, I don't watch Frontline. Oh, it's super interesting. They do these documentaries, um, and one of them the other day was on Facebook and Twitter, and how this is affecting teenagers and what they're doing to to sort of access all of this information about them, so that basically they can sell them stuff. And these teenagers, whether they know it or not, are unwittingly giving away all this stuff. I mean, we all are. So as far as information about ourselves so we can be sold to. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, it kind of it kind of freaks me out a little bit, actually, when you think about it. But yes, we have to be careful what we share online, period. Do. But I don't know if there's really a way around it to right now so yeah i don't either i don't either so do you I go mean, do you go as far as buying ads and creating events or do you just uh put no. something in your in your timeline no i just posted in my timeline okay yeah so I, about how many can you can you tell about how many people might show up to a show from <laughs> facebook can you tell yeah. Yeah, interesting not a lot Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting question you ask, Chris, because I really don't know how much Facebook is, is doing. Because before I did Facebook, I had a regular email list that I would send out to. And that's how I communicated with people. And I sent, I would send out through email. So I don't know if it's necessarily getting people in to see my shows or to see my gigs. But it's just sort of, sort of creating this sort of, and I hate to say it, and this is part of it, this sort of look at me, aren't I doing great sort of syndrome. That's important, actually, though, because you know, unfortunately, whether you're doing well or not, people believe that you are. Exactly. And that it works to your advantage. Yeah. And because I, I have done a lot of networking on Facebook because I belong to a bunch of different groups. Okay. And one of them is Chicago Wedding Peeps and one of them is Chicago Event Planners. So it's those people really that I'm that I'm networking with as well. So so they know I'm working and doing these corporate events and I've gotten some work that way and I've I've been able to network with those kinds of people and and all that stuff cuz that's with that business that's what it's all about. I've got I've gone to these event planning events and these wedding expos and all that stuff and you just have to try it out and see what works for you. And but, I just want to point out that goes back to my relationship question that I yeah. asked earlier. So why would a person do that why would a person go out to these networking events it comes back around yeah Yeah. it is really important still the networking to this day is worth more than an email yes Um, meeting and speaking with people and you know having them get to know you you know seeing that you're not crazy or whatever you know what i mean Yes. yes um you are professional and just basic Basic stuff, I think, for most business people, um, and especially in our business, I think, if you want to try to make a living at it, you have to, you have to try to figure out ways how to get to know these people. So I'm going to switch gears. In one of the first conversations we had when I met you, you told me that you were a contractor, but the <laughs> way you go about it, I thought was pretty cool. It's different than anything I've ever heard of. So will you tell us your method and why you do things this way? I don't remember what I said to you. Oh, man. Okay. All right. It was, you were telling me about the gig, the gig. Oh, I forgot what the official name was of it was. Oh, yeah. Gig Salad and Gig Masters. Gig Salad. Gig 
Gig Masters. I hadn't heard of Gig Salad. I heard yeah. of Gig Masters. Yes. But, yeah. Tell us about how, how you use those services. Yes. Well, basically, my my loathing of the restaurant business led me to these places because I was like, I have to get out of this business. I can't take it anymore. I was just not happy. So I quit my job and um, took a risk, my restaurant job, and spent the entire, spent days and days on end, weeks and weeks on end researching places where musicians advertise. I mean, I found these two places and um, for a very small investment, I've gotten a lot of work, tons and tons and tons of work. Um, and I've gotten not only work for jazz singing, but for other musicians as well. So if you like, if you fill out, if you become a member of one of these places, you know, you can check as, as many categories as you like, if you pay the premium amount, you know, so that P, so that if a search for a Chicago piano player comes up, if you're looking for that, you know, I'll, I'll get emails from these people through the website, um, you know, looking for a piano player for my party or whatever. And then I can contract a piano player that way. Um, so, I mean, I don't do a ton of that work, but I do a fair amount, especially around the holidays. Um, and it's the kind of thing where you're bidding, you're competing with other people and bidding and, and all that stuff. So you have to be very um, competitive when it comes to your costs. Um, you don't want to underbid. That's really bad. I don't like when musicians do that because, you know, they'll – They'll work. Some musicians will work on these websites. Will work for next to nothing, just to get the work, which I think hurts everyone involved. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those two websites have been really good for me, and they've, you know, I kind of got in on the ground floor with some of them because you get rated on those websites with reviews of your clients, um, and so I have a high profile on those websites. My my profile comes up first on both of them. When you look at a Chicago jazz singer, so it's just you know it's been years of cultivating. Yes. Anything else? It took me about ten years, at least ten years, to get to the point where now I'm I'm getting a lot of repeat business from corporate from corporate work. You know, year after year they hire me to do their corporate party or their corporate event or whatever. Or I get tons of referrals for weddings and that kind of thing. So I like to piggyback off of that, if I may. I um, do you mind? Is that okay? No, of course not. Uh, no, of course no, not. I, I oh, whatever you. <laughs> okay, just had to check. But <laughs> no. I, I, I went through a uh, a service in the past where they found me on Reverb Nation, and okay. they asked me. They hyped themselves up as they should have, but ultimately, oh. I took, I accepted their invitation. So they, I forget the name of the company, and I guess I'll post the name of the company in the show notes when I remember for those afterward who may want to give this a try. There's some good things about this and there's some bad things, but what we had to do, they booked the club. We had to pre-sell tickets hmm. for people to come see us perform. And they took a large percentage of the money. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't, it really it really wasn't worth it monetarily. Mm. Um, and they, they did it this way. They said, if you, whoever sells the most tickets, we shared the bill with multiple other bands. So okay. it was whoever sold the most tickets would have their choice of performance time. It turned out that 
they lied to me in my situation because I have sold the second most amount and I did not get to choose. And we ended up having to wait till about, I don't know, maybe we didn't perform till close to the 11 o'clock hour when we had been there since the six o'clock hour. And that was pretty bad. But the good that came out of it was that we got to perform for all of these other bands fans oh yeah and so it was a totally different crowd than what would have normally come out to see my jazz group uh-huh. and they loved us we were in the most polished uh, band there we we worked on our stuff i'm not saying the other bands didn't um but ultimately they liked what we did and we were able to get some new fans we got some uh new emails and we were able to shake hands and meet people so it it was great for that so if you ever come across a service like that i just want people to know the good and the bad about it i think if you go in with a end in mind maybe to build your fan base it could be good for that that's a good point yeah yeah it's unfortunate that they lied to you though yeah i just think i don't i don't know if they intentionally did that i just think they weren't being considerate in the moment i don't know yeah but uh yeah so i want to i want to kind of move on to the i got some final questions here for you i appreciate you today thank you so much so what's your advice for someone getting started in this career but maybe they don't know how to begin or maybe they're too afraid to start oh god Sorry, I didn't um, mean to surprise you. <laughs> there's so much involved. There really is. Right. You you just kind of have to, if you, you know, the thing they t- they don't teach you in music school is how to earn a living. Say it again. <laughs> it's so true. That's why we're doing this podcast, guys. I get it. I don't understand. It's the same thing with acting and theater. Yeah. In my senior year in college, you're like, okay, this is how you get, you know, we had like a 15-minute class on how to get an agent and write a resume. But that should be a huge part of it, is how, how to be a business person, because you have to be, you know. Um, and so I would, if I were if I were going to get started, I would find out all I could about, about how to earn a living. I mean, I just did it as I went along, and I realized early on that I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't going to be able to do it from clubs. So I, just from desperation... I had to figure it out because I, I so loathed the restaurant business. I was like, I can't do it anymore. So you have to have a burning desire. You know, you have to be consistent and you have to have an overall, you have to business plan. If you can, a business model, go about it as a business person. But at the same time, and this is the challenge, you have to still be an artist and try to grow as a musician and still practice and still do all that too. You know, it's a full-time job. I just thought about something when I was listening to you just now. Where does the family fit in? <laughs> you see, so yeah. for some people that's a concern. So I know that's some people question. make the choice to to be single. Some people try to have relationships and they just don't work out. Yeah, I that's have a whole other area. I know, hurt. kind of getting kind of deep on that. Right, one. I mean, <laughs> no, that's a good question. You know, I I am. I, I don't have a family. You know, I'm not married. I do not have children. And there's no way I could have done, there's no way I could have done what I've done and, and had a family. Just no way. I had a boyfriend at the time when I was just getting started and we broke up. And that's when I really started to pound the pavement. 
And yeah, I mean, it's if you have a family, it's more challenging. More challenging. Yes, but I yeah. do believe it's possible. I have a I young family. For for those that don't know, I have a young family. I have a two year old son, and I have you, a ten month old son. I didn't know you had kids. Yes, I do. That's and great. Thank you very much. It's Aww. uh, it's challenging, but it can work. And also, I have a wife who's very supportive. Yeah. And allows me to do what yeah. I have to do. To you must be very tired all the time. <laughs> yes, yeah, I am. <laughs> Yeah, but it's worth it, man. They're full of energy. Good so, for you. But I, that's something that I decided actually actually as a teenager. I decided that I, for me, I wanted to be become married with a family. Uh-huh. And I also decided that I would not travel much. That's just not something that's attractive to me. Okay. Um, I've done it, and I will do it on occasion. But sure. I'm not really trying to do these long stints on the road, you know. Right, right. So, but it can be done. And yeah. whatever you really want, it's it's possible. Once I it's, think, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and like I said, that book, The Artist's Way, that I did, that was a huge, huge turning point for me. I would recommend that book for anyone seeking to be more creative and to sort of, It's it's a very practical book. Now, what do you, what do you mean when you say you did you did the book. It's an actual course. Okay. Yeah. It's a 12-week course that you do on your own to sort of get past your own roadblocks and ideas about what it means to be. It's pretty Oh, thank you. Pretty interesting. So I'm guessing we can find that online, The Artist Way? The Artist Way, yeah. You can find it online. Okay. For sure. It's been around for a long time. It's kind of a cult, underground cult book. But I, I tell my students about it. And um, it's a very valuable tool. Thank but, you know, there's all this psychological stuff associated with what we do, too. You know? It's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. You have yeah. to get over that stuff before you can sort of just move on and do your thing. So. I am nodding in agreement. Yeah. You know, people can't see me nodding, but, yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. And um, actually, this is how I, this is one reason I decided to start this podcast for that reason. And. I got, I had a pretty hard year. We're in 2014, so it was 2012. And at the end of 2012, I discovered Jim Rohn. I didn't know who Jim Rohn was. I got into network marketing. I discovered Jim Rohn, who's passed away. He's a, I don't want to call him a motivational speaker, but he was very motivational, so I will call him a motivational speaker. R O H N, Jim Rohn, not the guy on ESPN, guys. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so he, I started listening to him, and when I watched one YouTube video, I got caught up, hmm. and I watched watched more and more of them every day, and that began my uh, changing of my mind, and I started to read, and and now I'm in a better way. So the uh, the 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 psycho the psychology is very important that makes to be sense. successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think if you're going to be in this business, you know, as we say, you got to figure out a way to cope with yes. it. Yes, because there's a lot of crap. People are judging you all the time, and you know, you just have to figure out a way to, like you said, fix deal with your mind. Because your mind will create all kinds of stuff if you let it. 
Yes, it will. Whatever that means, exercise or meditation. We got to go. You're looking at the No, clock. it's starting to rain, and Ooh. I'm hoping that that sound doesn't come across in the, in oh. the recording. So, uh, But I do want to be respectful of your time. So um, I have, man, I had, can we go for 10 more minutes or no? Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. okay. I just want to ask you to tell us about one of your great failures in, in this business and what you learned from that situation and how you adjusted. Jeez. This is going to sound real arrogant, but I don't feel like I have had any because uh, I, I try to learn. I've had like a slow, steady incline. Mm-hmm. Um, and you ha- I have, I guess failing means maybe, I don't know. It, it's not quantifiable, I think, in what we do. You know what I mean? Um, it's hard, hard to answer that question because I don't feel, I guess for me, some of the times when I feel I failed is in my dealings with other people when I've, you know, not supported somebody the way I should have or, or, you know, maybe early on made some negative comments about somebody or something. And now I try to be very careful with my words. You know, I think that's super important for us to really support each other. And, you know, if you don't have something nice to say, then just don't say it. And the thing is, everybody's on their own path. We're all on different paths. And that's the part that we should respect. Just that really respecting each other for what we're all trying to do. You know, that's, and, you know, sometimes, you know, I've been super uptight on some corporate gigs and, you know, had, you know, little mini meltdowns from, from time to time, but I try to, I try to conduct myself, you know, so that, like I said, so I can create a good atmosphere for people. And I've, I've gotten so much more relaxed and just learned not to pick up on the kind of energy that those people are giving out and to just do my thing. And that comes from meditation. And that's what I mean about like, Figuring out how you're going to deal with it, all that stuff, because people can be nasty, and you just kind of have to let it roll off. It doesn't mean anything. It's a it's a reflection of them. It has nothing to do with you. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it's just a reflection of them, and all the negativity that they're going through, and to try to have compassion for them because they're the ones that are probably really suffering if they have to do that. So that's uh, yeah, that's the only thing I would say in terms of quote-unquote failing but i don't feel like i've failed in anything i've been working my little butt off <laughs> yeah yeah keep yeah. working keep working you know <laughs> that's the only way to to move forward so yeah man we appreciate you so much so thank much you, thank you so much for for having me i'm so honored to be um to be on your show and you're such a nice guy and i'm so happy that i met you and thank i hope you. to get out and see you perform and see your family and stuff Thank you very much. You'll yeah. you'll be seeing us around. Yeah. I want you to tell everyone how they can contact you if they desire your services. Well, well thank you very much. Yes. Um, well, they can just go to my website. It's just my name. It's just ElaineDame.com. And my phone number is in big, bold letters right on the homepage. <laughs> right on. Uh, spell, your, spell your last name for us, please. Um, it's um, D as in dog, A-M as in mother, E. All right, Dame. guys, ElaineDame.com. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Thank Elaine. Thank you so much, Chris. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Okay. And that was our talk with Chicago vocalist Elaine Dame. 
Elaine taught us a lot of valuable lessons. I'm just going to go through some of them right now as a recap. One thing she taught us was to be persistent. Don't give up in pursuing your work. She also taught us that face-to-face time is much better than email whenever possible. And I know that's a really basic piece of advice, but guys, don't ignore that. She mentioned the book, The Artist Way, was very key for her success, for her success, and it helped to turn her thinking around, which I just think proves how important reading is, period. And uh, I know that seems like it might not have anything to do with music, but it has everything to do with your mind. So go ahead and, and read some, some books that will help you get your mind right, guys. And you can even start with that book. It worked for Elaine. Who knows? It could work for you. Uh, what else does she teach us? Create a business model and carry out your plan. Again, that's a really simple piece of advice. But that's something that she actually did, and now she's working because of it. So that's that's all for today on our show. Just want to say thank you again. We're just getting started here, guys. We have a long way to go, but we're going to do it together. Go to BehindTheNote.com, episode two. Behind the note, scratch that, I messed up. Uh, BehindTheNote.com slash two for... Elaine's show notes or you can just click on the podcast tab on behindthenote.com and you'll see Elaine right there. You can even listen to the show from the blog or forward it to a friend. And before we go, I just want to ask you to go to the blog behindthenote.com and leave me an email. You'll see an option on the right hand tab to leave me an email. I want to do a show of question and answers but I can only do that if you call, if you if you leave me a question. Like that's the only way I can do the show of question and answers. So please go there right now if you're not driving. If you're at home, go there right now. Leave me a question regarding the music career or even a personal question. If it's not too personal, I guess I'll answer it for you. And thanks, thanks for everything, guys. We'll see you in episode three. <laughs>